Praise God. So, this morning, I'd like to minister to you on, uh, we're going to take a look at Gideon's life. I titled the message, O Valiant Warrior. And it says, Gideon learns who he is. And I think we, we all go through this process in our Christian life of discovering who we are in Christ. Because the truth is that our lives are shaped by who we believe we are. And you see it in uh, you know, all, the, all the rage and when you're teaching your kids, you know, growing them, it's positive reinforcement. Because if you tell them that they're bad or they're not doing well, then that'll affect their life. And if you do it too much, it'll actually, you know, people that abuse their children can actually seriously damage their psyche of the children by telling them that they're no good, worthless. If they're constantly telling them that, then uh, it can actually damage what they believe about themselves. And, uh, and the truth is that once you start believing something like that about yourself, it's really hard to break free from that. And, the, and that happens with adults as well. If you go to your job and every day your, your boss is telling you how terrible you are at your job and you're no good and worthless, you begin to believe that and it actually begins to show in your work. You actually begin to live out what you believe about yourselves. And I, I mentioned it last week, that quote that says, if you say, you're right, if you, say you can, you're right. If you say you can't, you're still right. That's true in, in each and every one of our lives. As we, whatever we believe ourselves, it totally, uh, it totally dictates what we can actually accomplish. If you tell, you're something, you tell yourself something enough, you'll actually begin to believe it. And that works both ways. When you begin to read the Word of God and begin to meditate on the Word of God and you find out that you're victorious and you say that each and every day and you say that God loves me and He cares about me and He wants the best for me, you'll begin to believe that as you begin to uh, read God's Word and see that every day. You know, the psychology of visualization... That's harder to say fast than I thought. The psychology of visualization is widely researched and documented. You see it. Sports figures do it today. They, they envision themselves winning. They envision themselves getting stronger. And, uh, you know, it's something they've done a lot of research into, and, and they find that, that, that it actually has an effect on, on how you perform. If you see yourself winning, it's scientifically documented. That the, the fact is that you have a better chance of winning than if you don't or succeeding. And it's always interesting to me when science comes out and proves these big grand schemes that have been biblical principles since, you know, two, four, six thousand years ago. You know, this, this, this idea, it's faith, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's calling things as, that aren't as though they are. That's faith. And when we do the same thing for us, and we'll see this what happens to Gideon, you know, he has to understand and he has to call himself that what may not appear to be what he actually is. So let's go ahead and get started into the story. In Judges 6, 11 through 12, it says, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the yoke that was Oprah, which belonged to Joash, the Abiz... Yeah, I don't know what that says. Abizrite? As his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. So you never have to feel bad if you can't, you can't pronounce the names in the Bible, because most of us can't. <clears throat> So here's a little backstory. The, the sons of Israel have been behaving evilly in the sight of the Lord. I don't know if you've, if you've read the Old Testament, you see that pattern over and over again. God, God saves them. They turn back to the old ways, worshiping other gods. They get themselves in a mess. God saves them. So now they're in one of their messes. They've been doing evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Midians have been having their way with them because essentially they've turned their back on God, and they've, you know, they've removed themselves from the blessing of God. So God sends a prophet to rebuke them and say, hey guys, you need to get your act together. And then the Israelites begin to cry out to God saying, woe is me, everything's horrible. And uh, 
so God, God hears their cry. Even though there's no real signs of repentance in their life, God still hears their cry. And this is where we begin the story as it begins to go speak to Gideon. But the Bible says in Isaiah 63, 9, that in all their affliction he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them, and his love and mercy he redeemed them, and he lifted them and carried them all the days of old. You know, when we're afflicted, when we're suffering, God is afflicted. It says in all their affliction he was afflicted. And then something else that we realize is that God never gives us what we deserve. And I thank God for that. You ever, you ever people call, I deserve this. I need to get what I deserve. I just thank God that we don't get what we deserve. Amen? Because the wages of sin is death. We deserve death and punishment. Everything that Jesus suffered is what we deserve. But God said, no, I'm not going to give that to you. In Psalm 103.10, this is King David speaking. He says, he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our inequities. And I thank God for that. So here we have Gideon, and he's beating out wheat in the wine press in order to save it from the Midianites. And we can see a couple things from that. One, when they used to thresh out wheat, which is the act of, of separating the grain from the shaft, basically all the bits that you don't use, is they would put it on this huge threshing floor, and they'd beat it and drag oxen across it, and it would break the grain out so they could separate it. The shaft was really light. It would fly up in the air, and, and they would have just the grain left. Well, Gideon's got his wine, or his... his uh, his wheat in a wine press, which is going to be a big press. He can kind of hide down inside of it. One kind of tells you there's really not that much wheat. doesn't have really a great harvest. But on top of that, he's scared of the Midianites. Because if they see them, if, he, if they were to see him pressing out the wheat, they would steal it from him. And he would have nothing for his future crops. He would have nothing for his family. So he's, he's basically acting as a coward hiding in this, uh, in this wine press. But then it says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. You know, Gideon is not acting as a valiant warrior right now. If he takes a step back and looks at his life, nowhere does it claim valiant warrior. Nobody else in the world is going to come up to him and say that to him. He's scared. He's hiding in this wine press, beating out what, what he can do. And God comes to him and says, O valiant warrior. You know, when we read in the Bible what God says about us, sometimes we do the same thing. We're, we're in the same, pardon me, we're in the same position of defeat that Gideon is in. You know, we're, we're, we're struggling and we have some sin that's pulling us down. And God comes to you and says, you are redeemed, you are forgiven, you are free. And you're like, God, it doesn't look like I'm free. He says, you are victorious. And, and you're in this position of defeat and you're like, God, I don't feel victorious. But God's going to come to you. And when you read his word, you begin to see what he says about you. And God says you are victorious, that you are, are, are worthy of his love, that you are loved, that you are redeemed. And in our, in our position of sometimes even weakness, we need to understand that it's what God says about us that's true and not what the enemy says about us. Same thing that happens here. The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. So we continue reading the story. The first thing Gideon begins to do is question God. And have you ever questioned God about his role in your life? Or question why are things happening to me? I know I've done that before when I've been, God, why is this happening to me? You know, if you're with me, why would something this bad happen? If you're here, I think we've all gone through periods like that in our life. 
And the truth is that sometimes life happens. There's natural disasters that happen. There are people that do dumb or evil stuff. They go and shoot people up and they, they do bad things. Or, or cancer happens. These, these terrible diseases happen because we live in a fallen world. And the tr- these, these things are not from God. It's just sometimes life happens. We live in a world that's fallen and broken and bad things happen. And sometimes we do stuff to ourselves. You know, we, we get ourselves in our own mess. You know, it's like the person that keeps hanging out of the bar and can't figure out why he can't kick his drinking habit. You know, there's, there's stuff like that that we do. To, I mean, that's an extreme example, but I, I imagine if we examine our lives, we'll find little things that uh, we do dumb to ourselves, and we, we can't pull ourselves out because of the things we do to ourselves. But in the story here, we have Gideon in verse 13, Judges 6, verses 13. It says, Then Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Eden. Eden, Midian. So, he does the same thing, right? Why is this happening to us if you're with us? And see, the the thing that, that Gideon gets confused about, and it's kind of an interesting thing to note, is if we go back one scripture, it says, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. God is talking to Gideon. But then Gideon says, if the Lord is with us, he immediately dismisses this personal, uh, personal thing God is bestowing on him. It's, it's kind of like when we, we see that, you know, that God has saved us, that kind of distances, us, distances it from us when, when God's saying, no, I've saved you. And the same thing Gideon does. If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to me? If God is with me, you know, that's something that uh, we can say about people. That my dad had cancer. If God was with him, why did that happen? Well, I know God was with my father. I know that he was still there. And he says, where are all the miracles which our fathers told us about saying, did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? So he's heard all these stories of all the stuff that's happened, but they're in oppression by the Midianite tribe. They're, they're slaves. So Gideon begins making excuses when God tells him who he is. And I think there's a lot of times that, uh, that we do the same thing. You know, God tells us who we are when we begin making excuses. Well, I can't be redeemed because I keep doing this thing. And I can't be loved because this stuff is happening to me. You know, or our excuses when God, when he, when he tells us we have a call in our life, when we begin to say, but I'm not brave enough. I can't possibly be used by God. I'm not good enough. I'm not a good speaker. There's no way God could use me to reach the lost because I can't speak well. And uh, I don't have enough knowledge. There's no way God could use me. But God is looking at you saying, oh, valiant warrior, you are a mighty man of God, George. You are a mighty woman of God, Anita. Everyone in this room, God has said that you are a valiant warrior, that you are mighty men and women of God. Amen? But the excuses come just like they come in all of us, I think. Then in Judges 6, 14 through 16, we get another volley of excuses. It says, in verse 14, the Lord looked at him and said, Go in this, your strength, and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? This is funny to me because this is kind of like God coming up to him and saying, Do you not hear the words that are coming out of my mouth? (laughs) That's basically what he's saying. Look, go in your strength. This is your strength, which is me. Have I not sent you? That is your strength. And Gideon's ignoring him. Gideon's like, 
I can't do this. He said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I'm the youngest in my father's house. But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. You know, the, the excuses continue to come. And the truth is, Gideon is, is, is basically is like, not only are we the lowest family in the land, you know, not only are we the lowest of the of the all the families but i'm the lowest of that i'm the lowest of the low i'm the i'm the least person that you could i mean there's got to be someone here that's trained as a warrior and he's got bigger muscles than me and he's taller and he's more handsome and his hair is never out of place possibly you could use him but how could you use me you know and i'm sure that moses said the same thing when god came to him and said i'm going to use you to save my people from from egypt and and he and he stutters moses stuttered but he spoke to the people all the time he says i'm not a good speaker you know, and, and David, turns out David was an adulterer, even though God says that he's a man after my own heart. You know, Joseph was, was kind of cocky and bragging in the beginning. I mean, all these people had problems. We look at King David again, he was a little short redhead. I mean, Saul before him was tall and beautiful and, and handsome, and there was not a man who was prettier than him or taller than him or stronger than him. The Bible says that. But God couldn't use him. But God used David, this little short redhead. But the truth is that Gideon, he's not, he's not feigning humility. This is really what, uh, what Gideon means. You know, and I think we all have this, we've seen people be humble, that false humility, you know, oh, I'm but a worm. There's nothing lower than, you know, they're, they're kind of putting out this idea, even though inside they're, they're cocky. I mean, Gideon's not doing that here. But the truth is, you know, you can say that I am victorious, that I am perfect, that I am redeemed, that I am loved, that I am more than a conqueror. That doesn't mean you're not being humble when you say these things. You see, the truth is, humility is about, is about knowing who you really are. You can be, when you're just stand, stating the facts, the, the truth about who you are, that's not being uh, a braggart, as long as you understand why you are these things. Now, if you say that I am perfect because of all the great accomplishments that you have, have obtained, then, then that's not going to work out for you. That's not being humble. But when you understand that, that God has done these things in you, you can still be humble and say, it's like saying that I'm proud to be a Christian. That's not the kind of pride God's talking about that comes before the fall. But you know what I'm, what I'm really blessed at is that, that all this stuff's going on and God is patient with the... Uh, with Gideon. He says, but the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you and you shall defeat Midian as one man. You know, I thank God for his patience with each and every one of us, particularly with me, because if God wasn't patient with me, we wouldn't be here today. Because I did some of these same things when, when, when God called me to be a pastor. There's no way I can do that. I don't know enough. I'm not outgoing enough. I'm not. All these excuses came. No matter of fact, when God first told me, I just wanted to leave the building and come back in. And let's, let's try this again. Reset. And uh, I thank God for his patience. And he, and he allowed me to work through that. Just like we're going to find, he, lets, he allows Gideon to work through this. But God just encourages him. He doesn't say, listen, stupid, don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I just told you? But he says, surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. And we're going to find out how almost really true that is here coming up in the story. You know, in 1 John 4, 4, it says, You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he 
that is in the world. You know, whenever you feel like that you're not good enough, that you're the least of your family, or that you won't amount to anything, it'll do you what? Remember that there is one inside of you who is greater than any trouble that you're ever going to face. Any feeling of inadequacy, inadequacy that you might have, God will work through you to overcome those shortcomings. As a matter of fact, God likes using the foolish to humble the prideful. He likes using people that are flawed because... There's no confusion to who's working in their life. There's no confusion to who gets the glory. You know, when I can stand up here and lead people and teach people, there's no confusion that God gets the glory for that because I couldn't do this on my own. I really couldn't. If you, if you guys knew me before this, I'm not an outgoing person. I'm not a person that likes to be out there talking to people. I'm, I'm content with just sitting in my room reading a book. I mean, I'm, that's, that's who I was before. But I know that God's working inside of me to overcome these issues. God is greater than any obstacle that we could ever have to overcome. In 2 Corinthians 2.14, it says, But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us a sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. God will make you triumphant and give you the ability to spread His love and His glory to those around you. If you're ever confused or you're ever discouraged by what's coming about you, just remember, greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. It's like having your own personal bodyguard, a giant, walking by your side. You know, when you walk up to something that you can't overcome, and it's going to say, you can't defeat me, but (laughs) he can. You know, and that's the strength that we have in him. So as we continue on with Gideon, In Judges 6, 17 through 18, it says, So Gideon said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come back to you, and bring out my offering and lay it before you. And he said, I will remain until your return. See, the truth is that Gideon doesn't really know who this guy is who's been talking to him this whole time. He's talking weird to him. He doesn't understand who he is, but he's, he's starting to get the idea. All right, apparently this guy is... Uh, is a little higher up than I initially thought. So let me bring an offering to him. And he says, If I have found favor in your sight, show me a sign that it is you. This is kind of Gideon beginning his prove-it stage. Have you ever asked God to show you a sign? Who's ever played Bible roulette? And that's when you... Hey, God's speaking to me with this verse. You know, you ever done that until you get a bad one? You know? <laughs> but... Uh, you know, he's beginning his prove-it-to-me stage. You know, prove that, that you are who you say you are. Prove that, that's, uh, that you're going to do what you say you're going to do. And I think we've all done that in our lives at different points in our lives. But we're fortunate. We're more fortunate than Gideon in the sense that we have a greater revelation of who God is than anybody in the Old Testament ever had. You know, they didn't have the Bible. They had a few books of the law, but they didn't have this revelation of who God is. Jesus Christ is perfect theology. We began to see God's will in Jesus. We began to see who God is much clearer than they ever thought. Matter of fact, uh, I believe Paul says that they were were operating in a shadow of what we have today. We have a revelation of who God is, what God's will is. We can know that if it's God speaking to us because we can check the word of God, his love letter to us, and see if it aligns with it or if it does not. You know, Gideon didn't have that opportunity. When someone said that they were speaking from God, they didn't have as easy a way to check if it was from God. But we do. We have God's will in His Word. 
And once again, God demonstrates his patience with Gideon. And he says, all right, I'll remain to your return. Can you imagine that? Now, we're going to find out that, that this angel of the Lord later, this is God. This is the angel. This is not an angel of the Lord. This is the angel of the Lord. If we look back at the verse before, a couple of verses before, it doesn't say, but the angel said, this is what the Lord said to him. This is God speaking to Gideon. And Gideon says, can you wait here for a second? I got something to go do. <laughs> can you imagine telling God to wait? I mean, I'd be like, I mean, we couldn't even fathom something like if the president came over and you're like, give me a second, I'll be right back. Even just the president of the United States. But this is God. He just said, give me a moment. That's amazing to me. But he's not quite sure who he is yet. So in Judges 6, 19 through 23, we continue the story. And it says in verse 19, Then Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour. And he put the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot and brought them out under the oak and presented them. You know, I think in our heads we think, then he said, wait for me, I'll be right back, that he ran to Safeway and got all this stuff pre-done and brought it back. So Gideon goes home, busts out the flour, busts out the goat, prepares a young goat. So he, he has to clean, gut clean it, get it all ready to go, make some bread out of flour. I mean, Gideon's probably gone for a good day. <laughs> and God's just waiting patiently. And he brought them, put them, brought them out to him and put them under the oak and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. And the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. When Gideon saw that he was the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, he said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But once again, the Lord said to him, Peace to you, do not fear, you shall not die. You know, I wonder what Gideon's thinking as he's getting, because he's got a good amount of time to think about what's going on. And he's probably wondering, is this guy who he says he is, is this guy an angel, is he God, is, or is he just some, some schmuck off the street that's trying to, to, to get me to do something I don't need to do? You know, I... I think we have the same thing as we, as we begin to hear God talk to us and begin to, is this really God? Is this somebody else? And I wonder, if uh, was he hoping that it was a farce? Was he hoping that he's going to bring this offering out and nothing happens? I mean, have you ever thought that? Like, maybe hopefully this really isn't God. I really don't want to do what I'm being asked to do right now. <laughs> you know, I'm wondering, you know, what are... What, is he, what are the implications if this, what this man says is true? What does that mean for his life? I mean, things are about to get real. Things are about to change for Gideon if this is God. And then on top of that, what would you do if you saw fire spring up from a rock and consume what you just placed on a rock? That would be pretty amazing to see. You know, in those days, it was uh, if you were to actually see the face of God, it was pretty much instant death. You wonder why Gideon freaks out. He thought he was going to die. <laughs> You know, in those days, when at the end of the year, once a year, they did a, an offering for all of Israel, the, the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, where God actually was, the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, if he didn't go through all the cleansing, all that stuff, and he went in there before God and he wasn't clean, he would die. So they actually tied a rope around his waist as he went into the Holy of Holies, because if he died, nobody could go in after him or they would die too, so they could drag him out by the rope. So Gideon is rightfully freaking out because he just saw God. He thinks he's going to die. 
You know, but God says, no, don't fear. You shall not die. God speak to him. He's going to use him. Now, I thank God now that because of Jesus, there's no one in between us and God. God has, Jesus has made us clean and pure. We can stand before God with a, with a, with a clean conscience, with confidence, knowing that we can stand before him face to face without fear, without any issue. And then in Judges 6, 25 through 27, it says, Now on the same night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and a second bull seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal, which belongs to your father, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it. The Asherah were big, giant, wooden totem pole things that were, were uh, representations of their gods. And build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this stronghold, and in an orderly manner. And take the second bull and offer a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah, which you shall cut down. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had spoken to him. And because he was too afraid of his father's household and the men of the city to do it by day, he did it by night. So now we have Gideon. He, he realizes that God's got a call on his life. And he's going out to set out to do what God asked him to do. But he's afraid. And he kind of does it secretly. When you're first saved, are you kind of secret about being saved? Are you worried about, especially me, I grew up in a household where I was always kind of quasi-saved, but I was always fearful about telling anybody what I thought because what if they made fun of me? What if they, they pointed fingers and laughed? What if they ridiculed me? What if they did something physical to me? I mean, I, had st- I remember one time I went to a Promise Keepers meeting with my church when I was, I was probably 14 or 15, and I got this hat back, and it had the, the dove on it, you know, the, the just that symbol we use, and it was a black hat with a dove. And while I was on the bus, the kids took it from me, and they used marker and colored all over it. And they, you know, so a lot of times I kept that stuff to myself because I was afraid of what would happen. And Gideon's doing the same thing. He's, he's secretly serving the Lord. Now, I thank God now that I have the faith and confidence to serve the God with my whole heart, and I'm not trying to hide. I trust God no matter what happens. But his faith is growing. You know, he starts off with no faith. He doesn't understand what's going on, and his faith is beginning to grow. And he goes out, and truthfully, even though he's going at night, he's, he's pretty much messing with their gods. The men of this city believe in this God here that he's going to tear down. And then this interesting thing here, it says that take your father's bull and a second bull that is seven years old. What a strange thing to have this specific bull seven years old. And I began to, to read about it and learn. And, and, you know, what the scholars and people smarter than me say is that uh, this bull represented the, uh, uh, the seven years that they were in oppression. This bull that was seven years old was actually born before they were taken into captivity, before they were being oppressed by the Midianites. So its birth represented them coming into oppression. And now this bull, seven years old, was going to be sacrificed, representing their freedom from their oppression. That that oppression, this bull represented the oppression. It was dead. It was done with. You know, and I thank God in our own lives that that oppression and that freedom, Jesus came and died to set us free. Jesus came and set us free from all oppression and all, all uh, schemes of the enemy and sin that threatens to pull you down all the time. But even in his, uh, even in his fear, though, we find Gideon being obedient. You know, sometimes we all face fear in our lives. And when God asks us to do something, the important thing is that our, our faith muscle is stronger than that fear muscle. Amen? So Gideon moves forward. 
And in Judges 6, 28 through 32, it says, When the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was torn down, and the Asherah, which was beside it, was cut down, and the second bull was offered on the altar which had been built. They said to one another, Who did this thing? And when they searched about and inquired, they say, Gideon, the son of Joash, did this thing. I find this interesting as he tried to be sneaky, but one, you take ten men to tear down an altar, you're going to get noticed whether you do it during the night or during the day. And I think that's the same in our life, too. People are going to notice the change in you. We try, may try to be sneaky about it, but you can't hide that. When I was a soldier, uh, when I was in the Army, we, they teach you to march, they teach you to walk, and, and uh, something that, that always they told us, when you go to another country, even if you're not in uniform, they're going to know you're a soldier. So just be aware of that, because some places, they, they would, you, know, you could get harm from that going out in the city because of the way you walk the way your hair is cut, they've begun to see a change in you, that even if you were trying to be nonchalant about it, they could tell you were a soldier. And it's the same thing as a Christian life. I mean, you begin to live the life of a Christian, they can tell, and they're going to know. So don't bother living secretly. Just tell the world about Jesus. Tell them about your love and begin to share it with them. It says, <clears throat> Gideon, the son of Joash, did this thing. Then the men of the city said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die. For he has torn down the altar of Baal, and indeed he has cut down the Asherah, which was beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, and this is interesting, Joash's son, he probably doesn't want to kill his son. And, but this, is, this was uh, uh, Joash's altar, this was his city. I mean, Joash actually served Baal at the time. And he says, but then we get to see a little bit of uh, Elijah poke out in, in uh, Joash. He says, but Joash said to all who stood against him, will you contend for Baal or will you deliver him? Basically saying, you're a god. Are you going to save this god from old, old Gideon? Whoever will plead for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself because someone has torn down his altar. It's kind of like when Elijah was with all the prophets of Baal saying, hey, scream louder. Maybe he can't hear you. Maybe your god's sleeping. Where's your god at? And it says, therefore, on that day, he named him Jerubal. That is to say, let Baal contend against him because he had torn down his altar. You know, Gideon's beginning to change. Even the people, the people around that are seeing it, they're actually giving him a new name. This name here, Jerubal, uh, was initially meant as kind of an insult. They were kind of throwing sticks at old Gideon. But the truth is, much like Christian was initially a name as an insult, Christian was to insult those uh, as the followers of Christ at the time. We've, we've grabbed hold of it, and now we claim that's who we are. We're Christians. This eventually turned into a thing of honor for Gideon, too, for, uh, you know, let Baal contend against him. So we continue forward with the story in Judges 6, 36 through 40. And it says, Then Gideon said to God, If you will deliver, deliver Israel through me as you have spoken, behold, I will put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only and it is dry on all the ground, then I will know that you will deliver Israel through me as you have spoken. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he drained the dew from the fleece, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not let your anger burn against me that I may speak once more. Please let me make a test once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, and let there be dew on all the ground. God did so that night, for it was dry only on the fleece, and dew was on all the ground. So Gideon's still scared and unsure. His faith is growing. He's seen God move. He's been obedient thus far. But he's still scared and unsure. You know, in Gideon, there's, uh, I believe it's in Deuteronomy, it says, uh, don't put your Lord God to the test. 
And the difference between what Gideon's doing and them is doing is they were trying to tell God to prove that he was God. Gideon trusts that he's God, but he's a little unsure that God's with him. He's saying, you know, God, just show me again that you're going to be with me. Encourage me again. Tell me that you will be with me. You know, even with, with all that he had seen, he had seen the angel of the Lord in person burn up the sacrifice in front of him. He's still having doubts. You know, it's... Uh, <clears throat> You know, we do the same thing. Faith is, is oftentimes grown incrementally. You know, we don't just get saved and have the faith uh, that's, that's big enough to, to move a mountain. We start with small things. Our faith grows. It has to be continually kindled as we begin to keep hearing the Word of God. You know, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. As we spend time in the Word and, and learn who we are, our faith continues to grow. And when it's tested, we put our faith to the test. It grows a little bit more as we operate in that faith. And that's what's happening with Gideon is, is he's still not sure. And before we get to, uh, you know, I think sometimes we look at this and, 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 and we begin to point fingers. And Gideon, how could you still have so much trouble? But how many of you have ever said, God, if you'll just do this one thing for me, I'll serve you for the... I mean, that's such a common thing. You see it in movies, you see it in... I think we've all done it to an extent. But ultimately, Gideon has to, to operate on faith. No matter what the sign was, you can always explain it away. You know, I think when... Have you ever, I've been out uh, ministering to people, and, and they'll say stuff like, if God is real, have them lift this rock right now. You know, they want these signs to prove God is God. And the truth is that you can always explain away those signs. You know, if, if God actually did those things when we were out ministering to people on the streets, the people wouldn't be believe that there was a God. They would spend the next four days trying to figure out how we lifted the rock, how we did it. You know, and, and the same thing happens for Gideon. We think that because they lived in this time, that it was so much easier for them to have faith. They, I mean, Gideon saw God, the fire bringing it. It was so much easier for them to have faith. But just like us, they can do the same things and, and try to explain it away. You know, maybe it was a vision. Maybe I was dreaming. Maybe I, I was hallucinating. Maybe some of the, 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 the wine got on my wheat as I was pressing it, and now I'm having crazy dreams. You can always explain this stuff away. Ultimately, it's your faith that has to be enacted. And even with these signs that God was showing him, even with all that, ultimately Gideon had to choose to believe God. You know, Gideon is listed in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews, in that chapter, the faith chapter in Hebrews. Gideon's lifted there as a man of great faith. Even though we see these lapses, these, this growth process he's going through, he's considered a man of faith because ultimately he had to make that choice. So then Judges 7, 2 through 3, it says, The Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many. So what happens here is, is uh, Gideon does all his signs and tests, and he says, all right, I'm going to serve God. And, and he gathers 32,000 men around him to go face the Midian army. And uh, the truth is, 32,000 is not going to be enough. We'll read later that this army was uh, as numerous as the sands. This army is massive, like the stars in the sky. And then the Lord says to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give Midian into their hands, for Israel would become boastful, saying, My own power has delivered me. Now therefore come to proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is afraid and trembling, let him return and depart from Mount Gilead. So 22,000 people returned, but 10,000 people remained. So can you imagine this? Gideon's like, All right, God, I believe you're with me. I'm going to do it. I'm going to gather everyone that I can gather. And God says, Come here, Gideon. Yeah, that's too many people. 32,000, you need to send most of them home. But God, 
I only have 32,000 people. Do you see the size of their army and you want me to send people home? What do you think? I would, this is, God, this isn't what we signed up for. I said I would trust you, but you're getting a little crazy. You ever felt like that? God keeps pressing more and more from you? I know I have. So what he's actually doing here, though, is what Moses commanded in Deuteronomy 28. It says, Then the officer shall speak further to the people and say, Who is the man that is afraid and faint-hearted? Let him depart and return to his house, so that he might not make his brother's hearts melt like his heart. You know, the truth is, if Gideon would have went to war with 22,000 scared people, it may have made things worse instead of better. Because have you ever seen people that are immobilized by fear, that are so scared, they're afraid to move? Matter of fact, some people have become so scared of something that they literally can't move. You know, a side note, I just used the word literally, which I meant it like it said. You know that... Uh, the language that we live in today, they've officially made literally also to include figuratively in our, in our English language now. Isn't that ridiculous? Because, because people use it so much as a figurative statement, like, I literally died. Anyway, that's a side note. But yeah, we're a living language, so they've actually changed literally to include figuratively. So I don't know what, what means actually literally anymore, but nonetheless. You guys have got me way off topic. I don't remember where I was. So, these people are immobilized by fear. And if, they're, if people get immobilized by fear, they're ineffective in anything that they do, especially for the kingdom of God. And now Gideon's also getting an opportunity to exercise that newfound faith. And he has to have his own faith to do that. I was reading, uh, uh, J.G. Stripe said, Faith is like a toothbrush. Everyone should have one and use it regularly, but it isn't safe to use somebody else's. You know, we all have to have our own faith, and Gideon's getting a chance now to say, all right, God, we'll go with 10,000. But wait, there's more. In Judges 7, 4 through 8, it says, Then the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. God, you just knocked out over two-thirds of my army, and now they're still too many? He says, Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Therefore it shall be that he of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, he shall go with you. But everyone of whom I say to you, This one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, You shall separate everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, as well as everyone who kneels to drink. Now the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was three hundred men. And all the rest of the people kneeled to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, I will deliver you with the three hundred men who lapped, and will give the Midianites into your hands. So let all the other people go, each man to his home. So the 300 men took the people's provisions and their trumpets into their hands, and Gideon sent all the other men of Israel, each to his tent, but retained the 300 men, and the camp of the Midian was below them in the valley. So what he's talking about is lapping like water, as we're all like, what is he talking about? Is there's basically, it's our, what is it, 80, 9,700 men went down there, got on their hands and their knees, and they put their mouth to the water. They knelt down to drink. But there were 300 of them that just went down on one knee, and they cupped the water up. And that's what it means. They lapped it like a dog. They, they brought it to his mouth. Now, <clears throat> I've been reading a lot of stuff on this, and there's a lot of different ideas of why God separated it in this way. Some scholars say that uh, the ones that went down on their hands and knees, they were kind of just going down and not really worried about what was going on. They weren't being safe. They just kind of threw all their stuff to the side and ducked their head in the water. And from a military standpoint, if that were the case, they could easily be attacked in that situation. But the guys who went down on, on one knee and they, they brought it up to their hands, they were, they were at the ready. 
you know, they, their eyes were still scanning around. They weren't completely unaware. Other scholars have said that the ones that went down like that were keeping their eyes on Gideon. They wanted to know what he was doing, what he was doing. Now, I don't know what really happened. I don't know why God decided to do it this way. But I do know that they went from 10,000 men to 300 men. And, uh, you know, that's, that's going to test your faith a little bit, I think. Because it says that there were so many men in this Midianite army. It was like the sands. For every grain of sand, there was a man. But I tell you what now, for whatever the reason God had him do this, they're down to 300 people. If they win now, how many know it's God? 300 people cannot beat tens of thousands of men. Hundreds of thousands. I don't know how many there was. But if they're to win now, it is definitely God. In Judges 7, 9 through 11, it says, Now the same night it came about that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hands. But if you are afraid to go down, go with Pura, your servant, down to the camp, and you will hear what they say, and afterwards your hands will be strengthened, that you may go down against the camp. So he went with Pura's servant down to the outposts of the army that was in the camp. So once again, God says the victory is certain. God declares that his victory is certain. And it's the same thing for us in our lives. God declares to us that our victory is certain. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57, it says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And God is still so patient because God just asked a lot of Gideon. All right, you had 32,000 men. Now you're down to 300. You're going to face this huge army. And I'm telling you that you're going to win. I have given the camp into your hands. He says, but if you are afraid to go down, go with your servant down and check it out. So God's still gracious with him and gives him the opportunity to strengthen and encourage his faith one more time. And it says that he went down to the camp with his servant. And in, and in 7, 12 through 13, it says, And now the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the sons of the east were lying in the valley, as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number, as numerous as the sands on the seashore. Matter of fact, just their cameras cameras, just their camels were, were without number as numerous as the sands on the seashore. There were numerous as locusts. Have you guys ever been around when the locusts have come through? And you've seen that cloud that comes through? That's, you know, there's no counting that. That's what they're facing with 300 men. Just imagine that for a moment. I tell you what, if those 300 guys weren't scared before, I think they have reason to be now. So Midian goes down, and it says, When the Gideon came, behold, a man was relating a dream to his friend. And he said, Behold, I had a dream. A loaf of barley bread was tumbling into the camp of Midian, and it came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his friend replied, This is nothing less than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given Midian and all the camp into his hand. So Gideon goes down and he hears this dream about them being victorious. And once again, he's given a sign that they're, they're going to be victorious. They're going to do it. They're going to take care of business. And uh, like I said before, you know, we, we, we so easily think that, that if we would have had all these signs and wonders happen to us in our life, if God would just, if we saw God the way that they did, then, then our life would be easy. Faith would be easy. You know, because... You know, if we saw all these things, or maybe if we walked with Jesus, you know, if we were around when Jesus was on earth, oh, then we'd trust Jesus. Tell that to Peter. Peter walked with Jesus, and he denied him three times. He ran away. Actually, all the disciples scattered at that point. They were, they were a distraught people when their faith was tested. 
You know, the truth is that we have all the confirmation that we ever need in the Word of God. Stories like this, the Bible says that all scriptures are profitable for teaching. We read these stories. These stories are to encourage our faith to see that God is faithful and will do what he says he'll do. You know, we see it over and over in the Bible as it talks about what God has done and what he says that he'll do. We have more clarity and more understanding of what the Word of God says, of what God says about us and his feelings towards us and his favor towards us than they ever had. We've had 2,000 years of signs and wonders being performed in our sight and in history to encourage our faith. It's definitely not something Gideon had. And then we'll end with this verse this morning. In Judges 7, 19 through 23, it says, So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. And when they had just posted the watch, and they blew the trumpets and smashed the pitchers that were in their hands, when the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers, and they held the torches in their left hands, and the trumpets in their right hands were blowing, and cried, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran, crying out as they fled. When they blew three hundred trumpets, the Lord set the sword of one against another, even throughout the whole army. And the army fled as far as Beth Shittah towards Zerorah, as far as the edge of Abel, Meholah, and Tabith. The men of all Israel were summoned from Naphtali and Asher and all Manasseh, and they pursued Midian. Now this is Midian finally coming into who he, God told him he was. God called him a valiant warrior so many so long ago when he was just in the, in the, in the wheat or the, the wine press threshing his wheat, hiding. And now we begin to see Gideon acting as a valiant warrior. God's not a liar and God won't be mocked. Who God says you are is who you are. If you'll just operate in faith. And just like Gideon did. He operated in faith and he became the valiant warrior that God called him to be. And I find it interesting here is that God sends them in with 300 men. They don't even bring, they don't even have swords. They have trumpets and water pitchers, and they're just banging them together. I mean, if that's not God, I mean, that's, I tell you what, 32,000 men would not have defeated this army, let alone these 300. And, and God supernaturally divides this army. Matter of fact, it says the armies begin fighting each other. They all just kill each other while they bang pots and pans. God's faithful to his world, to his word. Gideon becomes the valiant warrior that he was supposed to be. And I want you to know that, that God calls you mighty men and women of God. And if you'll operate in faith, that will come to pass. God says you're victorious, and you are. God says that you are redeemed and that you are loved, that you are blessed, that you are prosperous, that he has a plan for you, and you do. If we operate in faith, just like Gideon, we will become the valiant warriors that God has called us to be. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise God. Let's go ahead and uh, stand to our feet.